It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. On October the 14th, 1987, 18-month-old Jessica McClure was playing with other children in her backyard. Now, her mother, Reba, was watching her as the little girl bouncily played with the other children there. They were playing with the flowers and the grass, picking up every rock she could, I'm sure. Then the phone rang, and... Reba turned to go to the phone. Now, in 1987, they didn't enjoy the freedom of having a cell phone in hand so she could just answer it. She turned for a moment to quickly answer the phone in the home. She then began to hear the screams of the little children. So she dashed outside to see what had happened. All of the other children were there, standing around, but not her baby Jessica. As she ran up to the children, she saw the hole in the ground and heard the faint cries of her little baby. Baby Jessica had fallen into an eight-inch well pipe and was deep down in the shaft. While in a moment of shock, not knowing exactly what to do, Reba instinctively returned into the home, called the police. The emergency crews arrived just moments later, asking what could they do you see baby jessica was 22 feet below the surface in that pipe almost seven meters down how would they get her out what would they do so they devised a plan the plan to rescue her was to do this to dig a shaft parallel to that pipe below where she was then cut a horizontal passage to her that then they could pull her out of the pipe the story of baby Jessica, while true, is also, in a symbolic way, a symbol of the predicament of humanity. Like baby Jessica, we have fallen and are trapped. God has initiated a rescue plan, but we haven't yet been extracted and saved. In this series, Star Wars, the great conflict between good and evil, we have seen this epic battle taking place, the struggle between Christ and Satan. It is a grand battle over you. It is a grand battle over me and what side we would choose. It is in that context that we turn to the scriptures today and see that the Apostle Paul, who wrote a letter to the church of Thessalonica sometime between about 48 and 55 AD, he wrote to that church there, a church that he himself founded according to Acts chapter 17. And there in Thessalonica, as he founded the church, Paul later found out that he needed to fight against a particularly entrenched group of people there, that is the pagans. Yet he experienced a great deal of success dealing with them. Now the town of Thessalonica was located in Macedonia and was a major metropolis of the time. Now today it is a seaport in the city of the great nation of Greece known as 
Thessaloniki. Now, Paul's journey allowed a brief stay at Thessalonica, but history seems to show that Paul had to leave abruptly. The church he left behind was mostly made up of these pagan converts. Now, because of his sudden departure, they had been left with little external support, and Paul was concerned about them. Now, Paul sent his pupil, Timothy, to work amongst them, and Timothy wrote to Paul about the work happening there. And Timothy's report was overall a good report. So Paul wrote a letter. He wrote two letters, as a matter of fact. And we can deduce from Paul's writing that they were still having some issues, though. Now, in the first portion of those letters, Paul seems to defend against the idea that he is some sort of religious peddler going from town to town, dazzling the people and trying to make a buck or two. And this is more than just a personal defense. Paul addresses the subjects of unchastity, neglecting their daily duties for religious gathering and their lack of hope. He spoke to the realities and the necessities of daily Christian living. Now, over the course of the last six weeks, if you've missed any of this series, Star Wars, you can go to our YouTube channel at www.youtube.com forward slash IIW Canada. And there you can watch archives of this series that has traced the history of this great conflict between God and Satan. Now, we have seen since the days long ago that Satan is a deceiver and his primary concern is the defamation of God's character. We have also seen and experienced this great battle moving from the heavenly realms right here to earth, where Satan was able to tempt and attain victory over the human race through the fall of Adam and Eve. Yet in the midst of this tragedy came the promise of salvation. And as this war has continued to wage on, the promise of his own defeat did not discourage the evil one. He has waged a fierce attack on the character of God through his attacks on the human race. Through looking at the story of Job, we were able to draw some principles of the survival techniques that the Bible gives us when the devil attacks. We have also recognized that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. The promised redeemer arrived, not only for our redemption, but also to make the legal declaration of our adoption. We have seen that this provision for our redemption was completed on the cross and by faith, our redemption is guaranteed. For 2000 years, generations have waited for though their salvation to be complete. Now, don't get me wrong, the full price was paid on Calvary, but our salvation is still not complete. We are still living in this world where there is death and sorrow and pain. And we know the Bible tells us that none of that will be ended until Jesus comes in glory and takes away the sting of death and sin and rescues us to take us home. It's in that context that we turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. And we read how Paul addressed the issue of the hope that we have for this time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and beginning in verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, Paul begins in verse 13 by issuing this warning against ignorance. Now, if you're reading from a more modern translation, like the NIV, for example, it says that we do not want you to be ignorant rather than I. Now, this is a minor difference that has to do with the oldest manuscripts and their minor differences over the original Greek wording. And so it's translated in the newer versions as we rather than I. Now, this is not a big deal, and we can actually make a conclusion, both from the introduction of this letter and the conclusion of this letter, that Paul, in fact, is the one writing to the church at Thessalonica. But the message itself is the work of he and Timothy as they are coming together for the encouragement of the people in Thessalonica. Now, most particularly, this message that they are writing is to specifically and urgently warn against ignorance. Now, ignorance is defined as a failure to understand, a lack of knowledge, or just to be unaware. So what is it that Paul was warning them about with this lack of knowledge? The warning comes over the issue of hope. Paul doesn't want the Thessalonian believers to fail to understand the true meaning of hope in this great cosmic Star Wars battle. The Thessalonians had lived with the belief that Jesus was coming again and he was coming soon. Yet as time wore on, they were seeing their friends and their fellow church members dying. And the reality of death was so imposing and can be so imposing that it can dishearten even those who have great faith. But the passage says that this warning is coming so that they are not like those who have no hope. In fact, if you translated the original Greek text, it would actually read, in order that you do not grieve to the degree of those who have no basis for hope. Then throughout this passage, Paul uses the word sleeping. He uses this word sleeping to describe death. It is apparent that the Thessalonians were struggling as they saw those around them dying. Paul doesn't want them to be ignorant concerning the true meaning of death. Because Paul indicates that our grieving should be different than those who have no hope. Actually, more grammatically correct, it should be not as those who have no basis for hope. Our grieving is to be different. Now, in just a moment, Paul tells us why it should be different, but make no mistake about it, that with this verse, Paul implies that for the Christian, grieving is, in fact, an appropriate response to death. Yet our grieving comes in the general context of hope. Therefore, 
our grieving should be different. Our grieving is made in the context and on the basis of our hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of his victory over the grave, we too shall have victory. Our grieving should be made with the understanding that death's sting is only temporary. Then Paul goes on to give us what the basis of our hope is. In verse 14, Paul states, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, this verse is often a misunderstood verse. In fact, some will use this verse to teach that the saints are in heaven and will return with Jesus. However, an in-depth study of the passage actually reveals that Paul is stating the opposite. Now, I believe this verse is key to understanding the entire passage. It is here in this verse that Paul lays before us the very basis of our hope. The first phrase of the passage gives us the context for understanding the remaining portions. Paul states, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. This statement is not so much a question as it is a statement of fact that leads to the last phrase, which is the misunderstood part. The next phrase in the New King James begins with even so. Most translations use even so, so, or so also. But the Greek word hutos indicates the idea in the same manner or in like manner or like this. Paul says Jesus died and was resurrected and in the same manner God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So I must ask, what is the context of this passage? Jesus dying and rising again. Then the verse states, in the same way. Now, just so we can be very clear on what Paul is not saying, when Jesus died, did he go straight to heaven? He did not. As a matter of fact, immediately following his resurrection, he did not go to heaven. You'll remember that he tells Mary she cannot touch him, for he has not yet ascended to the Father. So with that in mind, we can understand the last portion of this verse as a statement of the fact that when people die, they do not go straight to heaven. In fact, quite literally, the Greek passage states this, for we, if we believe that Jesus died and was raised, and in the same way God will lead or bring out by him those who sleep in Jesus. So a thorough investigation of the passage reveals a promise rather than a point of contention. Paul is simply stating that Jesus died and rose again. And in the same way that Jesus died and rose again, God will bring forth from the graves those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Friends, we have the hope. We have the hope that the fact of the matter is that death is like a sleep. Paul wants to emphasize that death is only temporary. Death is Satan's ultimate weapon of destruction, but it's only temporary. It is only a temporary victory for him. Jesus also himself states this, do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Death is nothing to fear. It is simply a temporary sleep. 
Death, in fact, is very much like having surgery when you go under anesthesia. For me, there really is no better description of that temporary nature of death than going under anesthesia. Now, I need to tell you, with all illustrations, it has its limitations, especially for someone who may be watching or listening who has lost a loved one during surgery. However, for a normal, as-planned procedure, there is no better illustration of what death will be like than going under anesthesia. You see, clinical death is defined as occurring when there is no brain activity on an EEG under the conditions of the person not being too cold or being under the influence of any type of drugs or alcohol, and that lack of brain activity would be consistent over the course of a few days. Now, according to an anesthesiologist that I am personally acquainted with and interviewed on this subject, a sleep dose of an induction agent such as sodium pentothal or the more modern drug of diprovan, which is commonly referred to by anesthesiologists as milk of amnesia, this has been seen to induce a flat line in the EEG for just a short period of time. Now, what does all that mean? Going under anesthesia is a perfect illustration for what death will be like. It is temporary. It will seem as if you have missed no time, although a great deal of time may have passed by. It's like the snap of a finger. You're out one minute and you are awake the next. My dear friends, we have no need to fear death because just as Jesus died and was resurrected, we are guaranteed the same. We place our faith and trust in Jesus. He provides our adoption. He provides our redemption from sin. But Jesus completes our salvation by the guarantee of our resurrection. No matter how good these promises are, that leaves some of us out, doesn't it? What about those who don't die before Jesus comes? What is our hope? Paul finishes the passage, beginning in verse 15, by saying these words. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Paul continues to emphasize that which he has already stated. He continues to point out the resurrection of the dead. Yet now he adds to that promise hope to those who are alive when Jesus comes. First, Paul points out that we who are alive will not precede those who are sleeping they will be resurrected first. Then second, he points out the manner of Jesus' coming. The Bible says that he will descend from heaven. There will be a shout. It will be accompanied by the voice of an archangel and by the trumpet of God sounding. Friend, we have hope in the cataclysmic event of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then Paul leaves no doubt to the fact that the second coming of Jesus is not a secretive matter. It is not something that will be hidden from you or unknown to people. Rather, it will be a visible, audible, climactic, joyous event. No one will be unaware of the fact that it has happened. Paul then gives such wonderful hope in the understanding of the second coming. 
First, the dead in Christ will rise and join Jesus in the air. Then we who are alive will join them. 1 Corinthians 15 promises this in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Friends, the Bible promises that we all will be changed in that moment. And then Paul reveals additional hope that those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus will not only be changed, but we will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. That word always is the Greek word pan. It means forever, the entirety. We mustn't be fearful. Our salvation is complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. He will have the ultimate victory and because of our faith and because it has been placed in Him, our trust has been placed in Him, we will enjoy that victory with Him. Friends, the return of the Master, the return of Jesus Christ is the most glorious rescue mission ever to be seen on this earth. Baby Jessica sat. She sat in that eight-inch pipe seven meters below the surface as the rescue crews worked to save her. For 58 hours, they worked diligently, digging a parallel hole to save her, all the while feeding oxygen into the other pipe to keep her alive. As they dug that hole 29 feet down into the earth, it is there that they tunneled their horizontal passage. They were two feet below where she was sitting. After 58 hours, they extracted baby Jessica and she was saved. My dear friends, we have a hope and it is based on the promise of Jesus Christ. You see, while the devil attacks and gains these temporary victories in these attacks through sickness and death, Paul tells us that when death happens, grieving is an appropriate response to that death. Yet, we have hope. And our hope is in the fact that death is like a sleep. There's nothing for us to fear. It's only temporary. We have hope also because Jesus, Jesus came to this earth, lived a life on this earth. He died, he rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven as our great high priest. And he calls upon us to place our faith and trust in him. And through that, we are guaranteed the same victory over the grave. We have hope because those who place their faith and trust in Jesus, as the Bible says, will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye where this corruptible body will become incorruptible, where this mortal body will become immortal. And then we will spend eternity. First, we'll spend eternity with Jesus Christ, but then we will be reunited with our long lost loved ones. We'll spend forever with them. It is in Jesus that we find our salvation. It is in him that the great battle of Star Wars is won. You see, without his first coming, there would be no guarantee of the victory. 
However, without his second coming, there would be no completion of the victory he won on the cross. Today, my dear friend, we can place our faith and trust in Jesus and be guaranteed that victory. We can be guaranteed the victory that he won as Satan assailed him in the garden, as the weight of the sins of the world were placed upon him, yet he chose you. You see, Jesus could have selfishly chosen to call upon the angels of heaven to come and rescue him because the crucifixion would be too much. Three times Jesus prayed there in the garden. Three times he prayed and said, God, if there be any other way, let this cup pass before me. Yet he ended all three of those prayers with this simple phrase, not my will, but thy will be done. You see, Jesus put you first. Do you want to place your faith in him? Do you want to invite him to change you today? I invite you to do so. I invite you to place your faith, your trust in him. It will be the best decision you've ever made. Heavenly Father, we take joy in the promise of the soon coming of Jesus. Today, we give our hearts to you. Today, we commit our lives to you. Today, we place our faith in you that we might live and look forward to that day. We pray that it would come soon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, there is no fear in death. It is only temporary. There is no fear of the tribulations happening around us. There is no fear in the events that we see. Jesus says he's coming again soon and we can place our faith and trust in him. Death is only a temporary separation from him. Today, I'd like to offer you the magazine, Signs of the Times, What Happens When You Die. Here's the information you need to receive today's offer. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. That's www.itiswrittencanada.ca and select the TV program tab. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Call anytime. Lines are open 24 hours daily. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 7V4. And thank you for your prayer requests and your generous financial support. That's It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 7V4. My dear friends, we can take hope. Jesus is coming again soon. It is my desire that this program provided that hope for you. I ask that you join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.